Uh, we'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. You can turn there. I'm going to be reading verses 3 through 14. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the time. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we, we just give thanks to You again for Your Word and uh, just the, the encouragement, the truth that You communicate to us. Uh, Lord, the promises of life in Christ. We thank you and we recognize that the unfolding of your word brings light. And we just pray that that's what would be taking place in our hearts now as we consider this passage. Lord, just that it would uh, lead to a a greater understanding in our hearts and minds of who we are in Christ. All that you have given us in Christ. And that we would just respond with, with praise to you. Because you're worthy, God. Uh, we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So I do want to wish all the moms a happy Mother's Day. Uh, always a wonderful opportunity to, to actually, hopefully, give the moms a break. Uh, as I've been reflecting on Mother's Day, I'm not going to preach a sermon about mothers. Um, sorry. Uh, but as I've been thinking about Mother's Day over the weekend, uh, thinking about the, the two mothers that I've, I've been closest with, my mom and then Heather, um, and, and thinking about just the, the way that, that they live their lives of just constant uh, service. I, I just think that's what I, I think of a mother as someone who just serves a lot and doesn't get much credit for it. Uh, and just that diligence and that faithfulness. Yeah, I think we'd be hard-pressed to find a clearer earthly display of the faithfulness of God and the diligence of God uh, in caring for us than, than looking at the example of a mother. And so I'm just very, very blessed and encouraged and just the reminder of who the Lord is 
as I reflect on, on motherhood and those women that I've been able to observe over the years. It's just been so good. Uh, so thank you. Hope today's special. Uh, hopefully you get some time off. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> all right. So our, uh, just another comment. This is a side note. Our, uh, as we were uh, doing announcements and singing, I, I was looking around at some of our students, and they all look really red because uh, <clears throat> they went to the beach yesterday. And so make sure you give them a good shoulder slap after the service. They'll appreciate that. Know that you love them. Um, yeah. As, as young children, when, when we're starting to learn how to draw, I, I never learned how to draw because I'm still a young child. Uh, but as young children, when they're learning how to draw, uh, it's interesting a lot of times when they come to you with their drawings and they're like, oh, look at what I drew you. And I have four daughters and they love uh, giving, giving us gifts of things that they've created, drawings and paintings and stuff. And when, they, when they're in the very early stages of learning how to use a pen and write with it, they get that little piece of paper and they just make lines on it. And then they're so excited that they made something. So they run to you and they say, look at what I made you. And I look at it my first thought is I have no idea what this is. Uh, and, and so then as a parent, you learn to ask the right questions, right? That's half of what parenting is, is learning to ask the right questions. And I say, can you tell me about it? Uh, and then they get to describe, oh, well, that's you. I'm like, okay, I have like seven heads. That's crazy. <laughs> um, and, and you let them explain what it is that they're showing to you because they've given you something, but you're not really sure what it is that they've actually given you other than just a strange piece of paper. Uh, and you know, if you ever do a white elephant gift exchange, uh, you, you get all excited that you get a gift or just any gifts in general, and it doesn't have to be a white elephant, and you start to, to open up the present with anticipation that you know that you've been given something, you just don't really know what it is yet. And sometimes it's with fear and trepidation that you're opening the gift, but hopefully it's with excitement uh, because we know we've been given something. We just don't really know yet what it is. We have to figure it out. And uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Mark and I got to take the second years on a canoeing trip, so we camped for a couple nights as we were canoeing, and one of those nights is when there was a, some bad weather in the area, and we had like tornado clouds up in the sky, and we were like, wow, this is great, we're along the river, which of course the river never floods, that's never a danger on the Guadalupe, uh, and so we're camping along the river, and we see in, on one of our cell phones this huge storm cell coming at us. And we're like, this is, this is not a good situation, but we're not near any buildings that we know of. Uh, and so then the, the person who was letting us stay on the property, he let us know that they, there was actually a large empty house nearby. And so we were like, that sounds great. We will gladly move from our little tents where we thought we would be into this large empty house. And we had no idea what to expect. And we got there and it was a really large house. Uh, and there was nobody living here. There was no furniture or anything. But as soon as we got in there, the first thing that we did, you know, being mature adults, is we went and we explored the house. And we had to look in every room, and we opened cabinets. We were really nosy. Uh, and we looked in everything because we were like, we thought we were going to be sleeping out in these tents and the weather, and it was not going to be fun. And instead, we got this wonderful gift of this huge house, and we had no idea what to expect, but we wanted to figure out what it was that we'd been given. We were excited about that. Great memories. I'll tell that story many times to future second years and be like, guess what? This is not going to happen again. 
Um, but it was great. And when we get to Ephesians chapter 1, this is what Paul is doing for us. He's simply telling us what we've been given. He's his great gift in Christ. And he's going to unpack just a few of the realities that the Christian gets to enjoy because of what we've been given in Christ. And I think this is what, what eternity is going to be, coming to a more fuller realization of all that we've been given in Christ. I think this is a large part of what sanctification is, is that we're becoming more aware of what it means that we're in Christ and that Christ is in us. We're discovering that which is already ours. And oftentimes, I think the, the temptation, especially as we grow up in the church and we've lived in a culture that is very Christianized, uh, that the, the temptation is all too easy to just, to just think that we know what we've been given and fail to explore and consider the realities of, and the intricacies of what God really has given us in himself. And so as we, as we look through this, uh, I'm going to do things a little, maybe not really different, but a little differently. And I'm going to, I'm going to read a lot of cross-references today and a lot of scripture. Uh, and I'm not going to spend as much time unpacking all of these things as much as just uh, taking time for us to, to stop and consider and to reflect on what has God said that he has given us in Christ. And so we're going to start here in verse 3. And just to read that again, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And he starts off with praise. He says, praise God. Blessed be God for what he has given us. And as he unpacks a little bit more of just some of the things that God's given us in Christ, he's still going to end off as well, again, in praise. God has given us so much, let's praise him. Here's what he's given us, now let's praise him again. And this is like a, a starting off with a doxology. Blessed be God for all that he's given us in Christ. And he's given us all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Every single one. He doesn't leave room for... Uh, some things that have been left out, but he says, all of it has been given to you, and it's really just a matter of realizing what it is that's been given to you. That he's given you every spiritual blessing. So what are the, the spiritual blessings that he's given us? What are these realities? And so in, in this section here, verses 3 through 14, I'm going to pull out six things that I see that he says God has given us. In Christ. Six of these spiritual blessings. He starts off in verse, uh, verse 4. He says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. That in Christ he's given us blamelessness and holiness. He says, In Christ you have been made holy and blameless. And he says there that we would be holy and blameless. But that would be is a present tense, it's not a future tense, but he says this is an active present reality. That today you would be, or in Christ, you are holy and blameless. It's not something that we anticipate one day in the future, but he says this is who you are today. In Christ, this is what you've been given. 
Holiness being to be set apart. And it is Christ in Christ that we are set apart. It's not in ourselves. And, and to be blameless, to be unmarred, to be cleansed, to be pure. He says this is what is to be. What we get to enjoy is being our reality in Christ today. That God has made us to be holy and blameless. And then the second thing he mentions here as a blessing that we've received in Christ. He says in verse 5, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. He's blessed us with adoption. A son is entitled to everything that is his father's. He has the right to say, this too is mine. In the sense of inheritance, in the sense of of what he is going to be given. Even though he he isn't the owner of it yet, it's as if it is already his. Because of his position under his father. In John chapter 1 verse 12 he says, As many as received Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. He says, You are a child of God in Christ. Adoption. Getting to enjoy all the blessings of being in the family of God, even though you were not naturally born into the family of God, but it was something that God did. He says, this is what God has done. Romans chapter 8, and verse 14, he says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. As sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And of children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. He says, as those who have been adopted by God in Christ Jesus, we get to enjoy sonship. We get to enjoy being called children of God. We're heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs. So that's one of the wonderful gifts that he gives us in him. Thirdly, what I see here in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. He says, in Christ we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Redemption. In Christ, we have the enjoyment of being redeemed. That there's something that was owed and a debt was paid in order that we could be brought into the ownership of someone else. That we could be identified with someone else. In Romans chapter 3, verses 23-25, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Redemption is a gift that's brought about in Christ. In 1 Peter 1.18, he says, Know that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but you were redeemed with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, he says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The blood of Christ has been shed to purchase you. He says, in Christ you have redemption. A few more verses here on on redemption. He says in Matthew 26, verse 28, For this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In Titus 2.14, he says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he says for, in verse 18, For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. That God intended to bring us to Himself, and in order to do that, He redeems us in Christ, the shedding of His blood. And so we have redemption in Him, this gift, this blessing from the heavenly places. And then finally, Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, he says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and you were purchased for God with your blood. You, you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. That we have been transferred from a domain of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son, that He has redeemed us, that He has paid the price for us. This is a gift that we have in Christ. And there's a a man named George Vins, 1979. He was a, a Russian Baptist pastor during the Soviet Union. And uh, during Jimmy Carter's presidency, uh, you can read George Vins's. Um, journal entries, and he was arrested at one point by the Soviet Union because he was Christian. He organized secret Bible printings that were taking place throughout the, the Soviet Union. Uh, and so they, yeah, they didn't want Bibles being printed, and they didn't like Christians, and so they were arresting all kinds of Christians. Uh, and in 1979, while he's been in prison for a number of years, uh, one day, he, he writes in his journal, and he, he said, This morning I was in my prison cell, and the guards came in, and they pulled me out of my cell, and they said, You're leaving. And any time prisoners were being transferred, that was never a good sign for them. Uh, and so he said, Where am I going? And they just said, You don't ask questions. You just go. And they transferred him to Moscow. And then from there, the next thing he knew, he was on a plane. 
and Jimmy Carter had arranged for the release of five prisoners, and one of them was George Vins. And all of a sudden, one night, he was sleeping in a prison cell in the Soviet Union, not knowing uh, if he would ever be released, and not knowing if he would uh, be tortured the next day again or not. And then the next day, he was in a country where he was considered to be free. And there was this immediate transfer that had taken place, and he had done absolutely nothing in order to enjoy the freedom that was about to be his. And when he, when he gets to, to America, one of the first things that they, some media people interview him, and, uh, and he and some others, but he can't speak English, uh, and so in the, in the course of the interview, there's a translator, and in his ho- hotel room, he had found uh, a Bible. And he had never owned a full Bible uh, in his life. And so as he took this Bible out of the hotel room, uh, and, and then he's being interviewed by the, the media about you know, his release and just the process, things going on through his head. And all he can say is, for the first time in my life, I have the word of God and no one's going to take it from me. And he's so grateful and excited about the freedom that's been given to him. And he hasn't earned it. But then on top of that, with that freedom, he gets to enjoy the word of God and not living in fear. There's this certainty that's now his. And how much more so when the king of the universe has redeemed you and I with the shedding of his blood. And the certainty that we have in this new identity that we have in Christ. He says this is not something that's still on the table, but this is something that has been purchased and is established and is sure. That the children of God, their names are written in his book of life and they cannot be removed. And so we see in this section of Ephesians chapter 1 that he has redeemed us. He's redeemed us with his word. All right, in verse 9, uh, a fourth blessing that we see here that's given to us in Christ. It says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. A fourth blessing that we receive in Christ is that we get to understand or gain some insight into the will of God. Uh, And thinking of his overarching will, his plan of redemption, his desire for all nations to be saved, all come to repentance, that he doesn't want any to perish. In Matthew 13, verse 11, it says, Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. And recognizing that there is this, this distinction that's taken place between the believer and the unbeliever, that the unbeliever does get to know certain information, has greater insight and understanding into the world around him than the unbeliever does. Because the believer gets to participate in knowing the will of God. God's will for salvation. His purpose for creation. Uh, being let in on a secret is always seen as a privilege. You remember to your middle school days and maybe high school days and maybe present day. That when we get to be participating in a secret, we feel really privileged. Like this is a special thing. 
You remember the story of in Judges of Ehud, he is gonna, he's a guy who ends up assassinating Eglon the king. But the way that he gets Eglon to be alone with him in a room, they're, they're enemies. And yet Eglon puts himself in a vulnerable position by being alone with Ehud, this Israelite who is his enemy. Uh, and Ehud gets Eglon alone by saying, hey, Eglon, I have a secret message for you from God. And if you want to have a private conversation, just tell somebody, hey, I have a secret to tell you. And they'll be like, okay, everybody else leave. And that's what Eglon does. He tells everyone else to leave because he wants to know this secret information because if we know secrets, then it means we're really important. Information is so valuable. And he says here that we have been given to know the mystery of his will. And that's something that the unbeliever does not understand. They can know the, the knowledge of it cognitively in their heads, but to know it and understand it and embrace it and to believe it in their hearts says that is something that can only be a reality for those that are in Christ, who received these blessings in Christ. And so we have this knowledge of the will of God, His purposes for the world that others cannot understand, they can't enjoy In Romans 16, verse 25 to 27, he says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation, the revealing of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, God's plan of salvation was hidden. It was a secret. There were bits and pieces that he'd revealed, but it wasn't fully known. People didn't understand how it was going to work. He said, it's been kept secret for long ages past, but now it is manifested. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1, verse 26 and 27, he says, That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, that there is this mystery of salvation that has been given to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Christ, we've been given this great blessing of insight into the mysteries of God and his plan for salvation for the people, for the nations. And then a fifth spiritual blessing here in Ephesians chapter 1. He says in verse 11, Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose. We've been given in Christ an inheritance. In Psalm 37, 18, He says, The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. Acts chapter 20, verse 32, he says, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul writes in Acts, or Paul records in Acts 26, verse 18, when he's giving his testimony about his own salvation, and Jesus said to him when he was on the road to Damascus, he said to um, that the man who came to 
remove Paul's blindness. Jesus gave instructions and he said about Paul that he was going to be the one to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Promise and inheritance. In Romans 8, verse 17, he says, And if we are children, then we're heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Heirs who are going to receive an inheritance. Colossians 1, verse 12, he says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. James 2.5, he says, Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? The inheritance of the kingdom, he says, those in Christ, those who have received these spiritual blessings in Christ, they're heirs, they receive an inheritance. That inheritance, he says, is the kingdom. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is among you. Speaking of himself. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. One of the, the rooms of your salvation, you're thinking of, exploring the different realities that are ours in Christ. And one of the realities that's ours in Christ is that we get to be called heirs with Christ. We will enjoy an inheritance with him. And then finally, the the sixth thing that I see here, verses 13 and 14, he says, In Christ you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation... Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. He says that we've been given a seal of promise. Having all these great blessings in Christ he's talked about, these other five things that we've looked at, there's this concern. It's like when somebody gives you a really nice gift, if someone gifts you with a, a new car... And you're like, wow, look at this wonderful thing they've given me. And then there's a concern, though. What happens, though, if I break it? What if I wreck it? What if I mess it up? Then this great thing they've given me is gone. What do I do with that? Or if someone gives you greater responsibility in some area, and then we think, oh, no, they've given me more responsibility because they trust me for some reason. What happens if I mess up and I don't live up to the expectations? Then what's going to take place? And we look at all these wonderful things that God has promised us in Christ and given us in Christ, and there's this this fleshly thought of, what if I mess this up? Is God going to remove some of these blessings from me if I mess up? If I don't live in accordance to the way that he's desiring for me to live? And he says here in verses 13 and 14, take comfort. God has given a seal and a pledge to all of these things. He's promised that we have been redeemed. He's promised us an inheritance. He's promised us that we are holy and blameless in Him. 
He's promised us all of these things in Christ. And he says, and I've given you a seal, a pledge, a reminder that this is not something that's going to be taken away. These are certainties. These are yours. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He says, there's not a question of whether or not the Spirit is going to be still with you. He says, you're sealed with the Spirit. Sealed for the day of redemption. You're going to enjoy that. In John chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus says, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, the Son of Man, the Father God has set His seal. What is the seal of approval that God set on the Son? At His baptism. He says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And we see the spirit descend like a dove onto the son. And that the spirit is seen as a seal, as a promise, as an as a affirmation. Yes, this is what is true. And so he brings the spirit in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, the spirit is given to you as a seal, as an approval, saying these things are true. These things that he's promised us in Christ, that he says are ours in Christ, they're certain. He's given us the spirit as a seal for that. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, he says, For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. God has sealed us and gave us the spirit of our hearts as a pledge. The spirit is a seal and a pledge. And so the Spirit is to be a comfort that God's promises are going to come to fruition rather than living in fear that He's going to remove His Spirit from us. The Spirit's given as a pledge, as an affirmation, as an assurance, not as something that He threatens to remove. And so He says in Galatians 4, verse 6, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit is witnessing, testifying of who we are in Christ. That we have a Father in heaven. And so these wonderful things that He's, that he's promised are ours in Christ. Uh, these, these six things that, that I've just walked through briefly... There's been a number of different times in my life that I've gotten just unexpected blessings. You know, someone is just generous in an unexpected way, uh, and I'm just kind of bewildered or just blown away by their generosity and their, their willingness to give, uh, whether it's financially or just opportunity. And I remember one time when I was at Columbia National University in Bible College, and I was applying to be an RA, uh, and I had no real strong ambitions to be an RA, uh, it sounded like more responsibility. I didn't, wasn't too crazy about that idea. Um, but if I was an RA, then I got cheaper tuition. So that was, that was incentive enough for me. Uh, and so I applied because some people told me I should. And we went through this interview process. Uh, and, and I was just, I assume like, I'm not going to be an RA. I'm not going to be one of the guys that gets accepted and given this position because I'm not one of the cool kids. I don't know why, why I was thinking that, but I just wasn't. Uh, and so I, I had no anticipation that I was going to get to enjoy this, this privilege. 
Uh, and yet, it turned out at the very end of it that they said, all right, John, you're, you got selected to be one of the RAs. And I was like, wow, what were you thinking? What is wrong with you? Uh, and it was very unexpected. And I found out later on that I had an advocate among the people that were in the, in the process of making the decision that was fighting pretty hard for me to be there because most people were like, I don't even know anything about John because I'm pretty quiet. And so I haven't had a conversation with him in my life. Uh, and so there were, there were some other factors that contributed to giving me uh, a voice uh, to someone who was advocating on my behalf. And that inclined other people to be willing to give me that opportunity. And when we think about these different things that God has promised us in Christ, I want to just take a, a couple minutes to stop and consider what is the basis for which God has done this. Because these things being given an inheritance with Christ, being redeemed in Christ, being given insight into the will of God in Christ, being given the pledge of the Spirit. Like, I don't, we don't deserve any of these things. These are huge gifts that are far greater than we are worthy of. So what is it that would incline the creator of the universe to say, I want to make these people co-heirs with me. What would lead God to do that? And I think he has some things in this passage that he, he indicates why he would. Now I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. Verse 4, he says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons. In Ephesians 2, verse 4, he says, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he made us, made us alive. In Ephesians 5, verse 2, he says, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Why would God be inclined to let us participate in these great blessings in the heavenly places? Because of his love. That he loves us. He cares for us. In Matthew chapter 20, well, no, the second thing, second reason why he would do this, what inclined him towards it in verse 5 here, it says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. In verse 9, he says something similar. He says, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention. I think the kindness of God led him to this. He loves us, and He's kind. We have a God who is kind. He says in Ephesians 3, verse 8, To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Paul says, I was the least of the saints, and God was kind towards me. Romans 2 verse 4, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience that God is so kind? Then he's also generous. In verse 6, it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us. In verse 8, he says, which he lavished on us. That God generously gave us these things. Not just in part, but in full. We see that he is 
does so because he's gracious. He says in verse 7 that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It's because of his grace that he lavishes these spiritual blessings on us in Christ. It's because of his wisdom. In verse 8, he says, In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. That God's decision to bless us with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, he says, was a decision made out of wisdom. And I think, hold on. Lord, are you sure about that? Because I I look at my life and the person that you saved, and are you sure this was a wise decision to bring me into this? Because I'm not really contributing anything. And God says it's according to his wisdom and his insight that he's led to giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How is this so? When we consider everything that we've received in Christ, how is it that this makes sense, that he would, he would do things this way? Well, first we just saw that it's all according to who he is. His love, his kindness, his generosity, his wisdom, his purposes, it's according to him. And in verse 11, he says, Also we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. The purpose of it, he says, is to the praise of his glory. And this is, as we think about in God's wisdom, he has done these great things and lavished us with these blessings. And we think, okay, when I'm making a decision, we make decisions off of what we would consider to be a wise decision. What determines if something is a wise decision? Well, we try to think, if I go this way, if I choose this thing, then what other dominoes are going to be knocked over as a result? What is that going to lead to? What are the potentials? What are the potential dangers? What are the positives? What are the negatives? If I go this way, what are the things I might miss out on? And we, we consider this to be making a wise decision, is thinking through what are the implications? What are the ramifications? What are the results? And God, in his wisdom, he knows every consequence of every possible decision. And in his infinite wisdom, he said, I'm going to give them every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That he said, this is the wisest decision, the wisest direction to go. How is that true? Because we consider how unworthy we are of that. And he says that it results in verse 12. To the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. And he said this the whole time. And at the end of verse 5. He said, uh, sons and daughters of Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. How come? Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 14, he says the same thing. Who has given us a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. How come? To the praise of his glory. Verse 18, he says this again. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We know what are the riches of his glory, that we would praise God. In verse 17, why is this so? He says that the Father, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. The Father is the Father of glory. And he says these things in which we consider all that God has given us in Christ, it leads us to recognize that we get to partake in the glory of God. He is the Father of glory and it's only because of our identification with Christ, with Him. And so our heart's response is that of praise. Thank you, God. This is not of my own account. And so our response to these things, we, Paul says in the rest of this chapter, 15 through 23, we don't have time to go through all of it, but in verse 18, as he's talked about these different things with the believers here, he says his prayer for them, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Paul's prayer is that the eyes of their hearts will be enlightened. Or almost like he's saying, I want you to keep realizing more and more all that's been given to you. It's already been given to you. Now it's just a matter of discovering what is already yours. And he says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will just continue to be enlightened. You're not striving to acquire anything else. You're simply anticipating the discovery of what's already there. And he says, at the end of all this, after all of these wonderful blessings that are ours in Christ, chapter 2, verse 1, What was our state as he was doing these things? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's our context. When he gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, when he provides the opportunity and opens the door for that to be made available to us, he says, you were dead. And while you were dead, God was working. And so because of the timing of it, Because of the glory of it, because of our unworthiness of it, he says our response, this is all so that we realize it and we praise God and say, God, thank you so much. Praise God for all that he's done, for all that he is, for all that he's brought us into. And so we consider what wonderful things God has done for us in Christ. This is what we have. This is a certainty This is ours. Praise Him. All right, let me pray. God, we we just are reminded that forever Your Word is settled in heaven. It's established, and it cannot be thwarted. And You have established these words to us uh, that in Christ we are getting to... uh, participate and enjoy all these blessings uh, that we are identified with you. 
And I just pray, God, as, as we can be familiar with these things, uh, that in our familiarity we would continue to celebrate and to be humbled uh, and to, to reflect. And as I've gone through a lot of different verses this morning, just that, that we would just take time to, to reflect on these, these realities that are ours, uh, and that we wouldn't just take these, these truths for granted. Uh, but Lord, that it would lead to the worship of, of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all would stand and turn in your hymnals to hymn 275. 275. 